You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 my friends. You are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to the first episode where we have a guest. Hey, friend. Editing TK here, and uh, you and I both know that this is not the first guest on For the Love of History podcast, but for this version of TK, this past version, it was the first guest that she had interviewed. So just ignore me, all right? Okay, enjoy the episode. Bye. I know. Usually it's just me speaking at you into the void, but today there is another voice joining me in the void, and I would just Love to welcome Mr. Kenny Ryan from the Abridged Presidential Histories podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation, TK. It's a wonderful void to join you in. This is lovely. Right? It's nice. We have good things here. We've got cookies. We in do. The void. <laughs> it's like an endless void of cookies. You didn't tell us that. <laughs> So um, I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction myself for Mr. Uh, do you like to be called Kenny? Kenny Ryan? Oh, Kenny is fine. Kenny Absolutely. Is fine. Kenny's great. Okay, yeah. perfect. A little intro on Kenny, how I found him. I have been trying to get into presidential history a little bit more. So before we found each other on a uh, podcasting matchup website, I'd actually been listening to a few of his <laughs> episodes, just trying to figure out more about presidential history, because as you know, friend, uh, American history is not my forte. And I'm trying to get <laughs> into it a little bit more. <laughs> and then magically from the powers of the universe that may be, I got a message from Mr. Kenny on the podcast matching website. So I don't know if it was fate, if it was meant to be, if the universe was trying to tell me you need to study presidential history, <laughs> but <laughs> that's how it happened. So, and now I will let him introduce himself. Tell us a little bit more about your podcast. Sure. Thank you so much, TK. Um, so my name is Kenny Ryan and my podcast, Abridged Presidential Histories, we cover all the presidents in order, chronological order from start to finish in about an hour or less each. So that's the abridged part. Try and hit their scandals, their setbacks, their successes. What are kind of, if, if you were to try and recall three big things about each president, what would those three things be? That was kind of the inspiration behind my podcast, where I started. So if you come on and catch that, also I do historian interviews. So to help fill in those gaps, you know, because obviously doing a president like say Theodore Roosevelt, I'm trying to write a 60 minute episode about right now. That's tricky. Yeah. So I'll also do historian interviews to hit those other parts of the story uh, that, that just deserve more diving into because there is just such rich and fascinating history around the presidency. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many, if you think about the, the flyover states, like people always say like Kansas, Nebraska, they're flyover states. There's definitely flyover presidents that I feel like <laughs> yes. happen in history. So going in depth to all of the presidential people, presidents is what <laughs> is is really nice because they are interesting people and i don't believe in flyover states and i don't believe in flyover presidents <laughs> anymore <laughs> 
So can you tell us a little bit about how you got started? Like what was the catalyst of you getting started uh, with your podcast? You know, the the catalysts are like a few different things. One Mm -hmm. is uh, I've always been a history nerd. I am the guy who like when I was in college, I would just take history classes for fun. Mm -hmm. When it came time to graduate, they're like, congratulations, you have a minor. And I was like, oh, cool. (laughs) Cool, So I've I've always loved history. Um, I also used to be a journalist. My first five years out of college, that was my profession. Yeah. So I I have this love for research, for writing, for telling stories. And and right now I work in marketing. So Mm -hmm. I thought a podcast would be a fun way to scratch that old itch. Mm -hmm. I was already on a quest to read a biography of every president. I was like, maybe I should just start taking notes and start a podcast. So launched it coming up on two years ago now. And it's been a really fun ride. That's awesome. That I mean, that's such a a monumental task. There's a lot of presidents. <laughs> so re- <laughs> reading that many books about the presidents is really interesting. I, I try to stick to the ones that are mostly pictures. So oh, it, it helps. <laughs> More like comic books than actual like thick textbooks is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, did you know that George Washington could fly? I, I had no- <laughs> I have no idea. I did know that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire slayer. So, well, yes, uh, well documented. Yeah. It's about time that story came out. Exactly. We need to plaster the headlines with his story about being a vampire slayer. Right. <laughs> so, today, the president, unfortunately, uh, that we're talking about today is not a vampire slayer, nor can he fly, but he does have a hilarious name that was impossible for me to say as a child Grover Cleveland. I always thought of the Sesame Street character, Grover. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. nothing like the Sesame Street character whatsoever, uh, unfortunately. Well, if, if it makes you feel better, if it's easier, if I remember right, his real name is actually Stephen. I want to oh, say Stephen's his real name and Grover is a nickname. So yeah. you can just start calling him Stephen Cleveland. And when people are like, uh, you can be like, no, no, that's his real name. His but real also name. double check me. Oh my gosh. Okay. We'll have to double check. <laughs> we'll put it in yeah. the show notes if, if Kenny's alive or not. Hey there, friend. Editing TK again. And Mr. Kenny is not a liar. Grover Cleveland's real name is, in fact, Stephen. So he is Stephen Grover Cleveland. All right. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Bye. So could you give us a quick summary of what Mr. Stephen, Stephen Cleveland's <laughs> what his presidency was like, just a little brief overview before we dive into our topic. So the thing that he's most famous for in terms of his presidency itself mm-hmm. is he is the only president who served two terms non-consecutively. Oh. He served four years and then he lost and he was out of office for years and then he ran again and he won and he served another four years. So he's the only president to achieve that task. Wow. So that's like the first big thing about him. That's, is it because he was so forgettable that people forgot in those four years? And they were like, you know what? We'll give him another chance. Or what? I mean, yeah. what <laughs> yeah, they didn't realize. They didn't realize. They're like, this name sounds familiar, but I think he's new. Yeah, we'll put right? him in. Did he run as Stephen first and then Grover second? And then people are like, this is a new, this is a new person. So like, like the true answer is no, but let's say yes. Okay, let's say that excellent. that's absolutely what he did. I, I um, like that answer. <laughs> I, I will say, I so one of my favorite TV shows is Futurama. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen Futurama? Yes, I love Futurama. So, you know, the Hall of Presidents where they have all the heads in jars? Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. They have two heads for Grover Cleveland as a joke. <laughs> yes. So there's a little like presidential joke in Futurama for anyone that like 
looking in the background for those episodes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I will definitely put a picture of that if I can find a screenshot or you something. You can find it. Absolutely. Google it. I you'll find it. I put that on Instagram. Friend, you need to go look at that because I am I need to look at that right now. I'm tempted <laughs> to stop the interview right now. <laughs> right. So the topic uh, that we are covering today in the very interesting presidential history of Grover Cleveland, Stephen Cleveland, is mm-hmm. his sex scandal that I had no idea about until Kenny and I were brainstorming ideas for this episode, and uh, he brought up the topic of Mr. Stephen Cleveland's sex scandal. Tell us more about that. Absolutely. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a setup to help mm-hmm. set the scandal up because it, it, of how shocking it was at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Grover Cleveland is a guy who, first off, his political rise is one of the craziest in U.S. history, how quick it is. Okay. Uh, one day, you know, he's elected mayor of Buffalo, New York. And then like the next year, he's elected go- governor of New York. And the next year, he's nominated for president and wins. Mm-hmm. So he goes from like, Within three years, he goes from like nobody to <laughs> mayor, governor, president. What the heck? So he, yeah. And one of the reasons his rise is so quick is because since he has no real history, it's it's one of these things that you hear about sometimes, uh, a candidate that nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. So you can paint him with your brush. You can see what you want in him. The one thing he's known for is being anti-corruption and low spending. So like as mayor, as governor, he vetoes a lot of spending, keeps spending mm-hmm. low, because at that time there was so much corruption that he could say, I'm fighting corruption because if I reduce the, the budget, if I reduce these things we're spending on, less of it's going into crooked places because it just was so crooked back then. So as the uh, presidential election's coming out and they're looking for a, a candidate, the Democratic Party, looking for a candidate to run, they see Grover Cleveland and they're like, you know what? All he's known for is being kind of a low spending guy, a small government guy and nothing else. He's got a clean background. I mean, there's nothing there is nothing wrong with this guy. Like he, he is impeccably a, a perfect fraud, scandal proof person. Let, let's make him our nominee mm-hmm. because they were running against a Republican nominee who had a lot of baggage. Oh, the Republican man. nominee had been in the Senate for a long time, Congress for a long time. It was well known he'd taken bribes. He was a pretty <laughs> dirty guy. So like we're going to put up Cleveland who yeah. is very clean, impeccably clean against, you know, a, an opponent who's very dirty. And th- that's what they do. And then a couple months after the nomination. So in the middle of this race, this is his, mm-hmm. his first run for president. Mm-hmm. An article appears in the local Buffalo paper back home, alleging that uh, Grover Cleveland had a child out of wedlock, <gasps> a sex scandal. Oh, my God. Yes. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. Like, like everybody, <laughs> like apparently. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the story goes on. The, the full accusation in this first article mm-hmm. is that Grover Cleveland slept with a woman named Maria Halpin. Maria Halpin is the woman in the story. Mm-hmm. And he allegedly seduced her, got her pregnant. And then when she told him about the baby, he had the baby put in an orphanage and had her put in an asylum to make it all go away. What? And so this comes out in the paper and people are like, holy smokes, this is insane. You know, there's a huge freak out, a huge hubbub. And it goes to his campaign and they're like, Grover, like, what do we say about Grover? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and he's like, my name's Steven. Yeah, this is this is why you have two names. So you can hide behind it when you have a sex scandal. <laughs> yeah, that must be some other Cleveland. That that's yeah, that was Stephen um, Cleveland. I'm Grover. Cleveland. And they're like, Grover, Stephen, Cleveland, what do we do about this? And and the alleged response that is known by history is he says, above all, tell the truth. And what his campaign then does is they say, yes, it's true. Grover mm -hmm. did sleep with Maria Halpin. Grover was single at the time. He still was. He was unmarried. He was a bachelor mm -hmm. for life at that point. It's okay. You know, from his part, a little, eh, you know, mm -hmm. the conventions of the time. Yeah. Um, but they're like, yeah, he slept with her. But so was everybody else in town. All the men were sleeping with Maria Halpin. No. She, yeah, she was the village bicycle to quote, you know, Austin Powers. Like yeah. that's that was their response. And they're like, and yes, she had a child. Uh -huh. And yes, Grover Cleveland has helped pay for this child's sustenance. Mm -hmm. You know, has paid to take care of the child. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, the child's name is Oscar Folsom Cleveland, which is suspicious. But the child could have been any of those other men's. And the only reason they named it Cleveland was to save those other men from disgrace <gasps> and dishonor because the other men were married. And so that's how his campaign spun it. That's how his campaign spun it is we'll, we'll, we'll fess up to some of it. We'll deny other parts of it, you know, mm -hmm. and and we'll see how that goes. And it works like people generally Mm -hmm. forgive him and and it, it seems to be working now there is one more part of the story though mm -hmm. and then i'll let you start diving in with any other questions you got okay, great and that is when we get closer to the election you know the old term october surprise you yeah, know what's yeah. the big shoe that's gonna drop mm -hmm. the shoe that drops before the election is somebody finds maria halpin <sighs> and they say maria what is your version of the story? Because the version of the newspaper was from like a priest who was just like, I heard this on the street. And then Grover, <laughs> his version. I know, some, some priest who's like, a man had sex and he was unmarried. This is terrible. And a child exactly. was born. This is a child was born. Um, you know, and we're in the North. So his last name is Snow, you know, like Game of Thrones style. You know. And winter uh, is coming. <laughs> and winter is coming. So in, in October, Somebody finds Maria Halpin and they say, Maria, what happened? And Maria tells her side of the story. And Maria's story is this. Maria's story is that Grover had been hounding her for, for months. Mm -hmm. Like he was just trying to get that date. And she finally says, yes, I'll go out with you. Mm -hmm. And she goes out with him and he walks her back home. And then he forces his way into her apartment and rapes her. <sighs> That's Maria's story is that Grover raped her. He got her pregnant. When she found out she was pregnant, she went to him in a panic. Oh, my God, I'm pregnant. What do we do? And the story is that Grover told her, and she's like, we should get married. Like, I, we need to get married. That's why this is okay. And her version is that Grover said, yes, I'll marry you. And then she kept the child and gave birth to the child. And then he put the child in an orphanage, had her committed to an asylum. He never did marry her. And he just ditched them all. So that was Maria's version of the story. Good but Gracious. That wasn't the one that caught traction because everybody else was like, no, that sounds too far fetched. You know, like Grover wouldn't do that. He's the honest guy. He's impeccable. He said he slept with her. And, you know, I mean, you know how hard it is for a woman to be believed today. Oh. Imagine 140 years ago, you know. No, so, no way. There's no way yeah. that she would be believed. Yeah. And so, so that is the, the full story. Mm -hmm. Now, the Republicans, the opponents, they try to make this whole thing stick. 
they have a famous rallying cry about this. If anybody knows like about the story and, and they're going to know one other thing, they're going to know this rallying cry. And that's that the Republicans would walk around yelling, Ma, Ma, where's my pa? <gasps> yeah. Oh they God. wanted everybody to know about the scandal with Grover Cleveland. Ma, Ma, where's my pa? Ma, Ma, where's my pa? When Grover won the White House, whenever they heard Ma, Ma, where's my pa, they would reply, gone to the White House. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Jeez. They're like children. Oh, uh, I mean, they still are. Yeah. They are like children. That's, I saw a, uh, when I was doing my own research on this uh, topic, I saw a political cartoon of a woman who I assume is Marie holding a baby and the baby is saying, ma, ma, where's my pa? And then exactly. there's Mr. Stephen Grover Cleveland standing there with like an enormous pot belly and just looking raggedy <laughs> AF and looking like he doesn't have anything to do with this poor baby. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So that was a Yeah, chance. that's a very, very famous cartoon. And that's like how they spread it. You know, that was part of the propaganda to try and make it stick. Yeah, that is insanity. So I want to know what, how did Marie and Cleveland meet? How Was she working in the White House? Was he just interested? So this in is her? before the White House. Yeah, this is before he's even mayor. He's a okay. lawyer. In, uh, yeah, okay. he's a single lawyer in Buffalo. Got when it. they meet, he, you know, he's wealthy enough. So he has some wealthy friends. And that's why mm -hmm. he's like later says, oh, like all the wealthy guys were sleeping with her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she was a woman who had moved there from I, I want to say like Philadelphia or Pittsburgh like, yeah. or something. She moved there from the East, you know, uh, to, to try and work. And, and that's what brought her to town, how they met. They, they just happened to cross paths as far as I know. Yeah. yeah. I read on the night of the incident, they just somehow met on the street. And it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. He was like, let me take you out. Let's go to dinner. You know, after yeah. months and months of courting, air quotes, right. courting her. Right harassing yeah. her uh she finally gave in she said yes and then like you said he forced himself on her and i also read that she was a widow she was previously married yeah she had some children back east is my understanding so when she moved left to buffalo she was trying to get a new start a, a new start on life mm -hmm. she'd been married before she had a couple of children she left them with relatives on the east and she was out in buffalo which at the time buffalo a booming town yeah. um you know you don't think about today you don't think about I mean, the bills are good right now, but you don't think about the <laughs> Buffalo really. Uh, back then, you know, you had the Erie Canal and that was a major uh, thoroughfare of trade. And so Buffalo really through the mid 19th century was just one of these major centers of commerce. So it seemed like a, a logical place to go and try to get a new start and try to find some work and try to get yourself on your feet. My other question that I had when I when I was listening to your story is how in the heck did a man that is not related to Maria or Maria, mm. I'm sorry, and not married to her, get her put into an insane asylum. Gosh, you know, that's one of those things too, where the details of it, I don't really know, but I suppose that 19th century, <laughs> it was just not a great time for women's rights. I do know that she got herself out pretty quick, you know, that the doctors fairly quickly. Uh, now, now here's, if I remember, and mm. I'm thinking back in the memory tube. And if I remember that, uh, Grover, his version of this mm -hmm. is that he had guys checking in on her. 
you know. So at the time she's given birth to a baby, she has a baby, she's living off somewhere else. Grover's doing his own thing. He's staying mm-hmm. separate. He's giving them a little bit of money. Uh, and he has like a private eye who's like a detective who will check in on them from time to time. And the detective allegedly goes there one day and he finds the baby like crying, miserable, Maria drunk, incredibly intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And that this is the incident that triggers the baby being put in an orphanage for its own protection and Maria being Uh put in an asylum for her own health and recovery. Mm -hmm. So she's presented to the asylum as this woman is an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. She's a threat to herself and this baby, and she needs to be cured. So that's what prompts that. And Mm -hmm. the, the people in the hospital or in the asylum fairly quickly conclude there that there is nothing mentally wrong with this Uh woman, Uh you know, she is free to go. She is not like an uncontrollable alcoholic mm-hmm. and she's able to check herself out for some reason, a couple of weeks is what comes to mind. Like with okay. not in fairly short time. And I know at that time, asylums were not, not the bee's knees. They were not the place that you wanted to no. be. Yeah. Gosh, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. It's, it's out. one of these things that's like, a, you're, she's really lucky that she had some I guess you'd say honest doctors in there who are willing to like listen to her and not just be like, well, the man said there's something wrong with you. So you're staying. Yeah. Cause we could have had a Leonardo DiCaprio shutter Island situation. Uh, on <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Fantastic movie, by the way. Right? Yeah. I love that movie. So the other question that I had during this story is what happened to the son, to the baby? He did, he get back to Maria. Oh, the, what the baby was eventually placed with another family and grew up with them and uh to my understanding like like grew up lived a long life people some people knew who this baby was Mm -hmm. you know but but he kept a low profile like this child did not want to be in the middle of things uh so so went on and had his life wow he didn't want to be associated with that at all which is completely understandable completely understandable And, you know, it's it's also one of these things like imagine being that baby and growing up and learning that you were the center of a massive presidential sex scandal where everybody is saying that you were somebody else's baby. There's no way to prove it anyway. Mm -mm, You know, I'm no DNA. None of that. No, exactly. So so you're never going to be able to prove who your dad is. Yeah. And. And certainly by like later in life, Grover does eventually marry and, and have, have a family, you know? So yeah, th- this child, um, whatever they knew or wondered, they, they kept their head down and stuck in their own little section of history. That is not Grover Stephen Cleveland's only scandal that he was a part of. For being the honest, uncorrupted, heavy, heavy air quotes going on here. Um, Yeah. (laughs) He was involved in a lot of scandal. I'm particularly interested in his second wife. I don't know, or not his second wife, his first wife. His wife, yeah. His wife, who from my reading was, gosh, how much younger than him? Uh, Oh gosh, I meant to look this up and double check. I think 27 years is what's jumping into my mind. Yeah, I want to say she was 27 years younger. Like she was 21, he was 48. Yes. Yeah. And he knew her since she was like a baby or something. She was the daughter of his friend. 
Yes, yes. Uh, Francis it was was her name, mm-hmm. and she was the uh, daughter of his friend. Oh, I'm blanking on the the her dad's name. Mm-hmm. I'll look it up real quick. Yeah. Okay. So so Francis Folsom, his uh-huh. wife, was the daughter of a man named Oscar Folsom. Mm-hmm. And now I think I actually misspoke early in the story. Oscar yeah. Folsom. That Folsom name should sound familiar because the name of Maria Halpin's baby is oscar folsom cleveland that's right oh this gosh. <laughs> yeah the the when uh, when cleveland is saying everybody was sleeping with maria could be someone else's kid his friend oscar folsom <laughs> is the friend that he was insinuating was the real child and years later because oscar's gonna die like er, much earlier Actually, Oscar dies relatively young or shortly after this baby is born. Uh, But also Oscar dies young in his own daughter's life, uh, Francis Folsom. And so Cleveland practically becomes the guardian of Francis Folsom. Like he buys her her first crib. He's known her since she was a baby. She she grows up calling him Uncle Cleve. So you have this really weird web of Francis Folsom. Uh It once Grover's in the White House, Francis will marry Grover Cleveland when she's 21 and he's 48 and he's 27 years older than her. And her dead dad might be the other possible father of Maria Halpin's baby, who Grover claims like when he says she was sleeping around like her. Yes, it's all a mess. This sounds like an episode of like Jerry Springer, like 1993 Jerry Springer. Oh my God. Yeah, Jerry Springer, soap opera. Like it, it's it's just too complex. Like if you shot in a TV show, you'd be like, no way. That was ridiculous. <laughs> but these, these are the stories ran down. And now we don't know, you know, was the baby Grover Cleveland's? Was the baby Oscar Folsom's? Was, you know, Grover actually covering for Oscar? To keep him from being, you know, the uh, disgrace with his family. And then <laughs> it's all so weird. It is so weird. This poor girl. Uh, oh gosh, what was her name again? The uh, Maria or Francis? Oh, Francis, Francis being the daughter. Francis, yeah. The daughter, Francis, gets married to this guy. And she is the youngest first lady in history. Right? I, be- I believe. Oh. Yeah, all, I mean, if if you, I believe that she was twenty one when she got married. That would be really tough to beat. Yeah, yeah, because you have to be what thirty five to be a president. Yeah, so, and now you, there have been other weird ones. John Tyler, he mm-hmm. married someone decades younger than him after his wife abruptly died while when he was in the president, and that's another really creepy, weird story. Where <laughs> that one to digress a little bit. Let's do uh, it. I love yeah. That's what we John do. Tyler is, is like an old man already, you know, I, mm-hmm. and he has a, a whole family, a bunch of children and a wife and his wife dies. And then one of his sons starts courting uh, a woman mm-hmm. <laughs> and John Tyler decides he wants to start courting that woman. So he starts pursuing the woman that his son was going after. Oh and he's like pushing hard, like, let's get married. I'm in love with you. Oh, my God. And she's like, you know, you're kind of old. I know you're the president, but this is a little weird. I don't know what my dad would think. And he's like, well, your dad is the secretary of war. So, you know, he works for me, you know, like a secretary of Navy war. I forget what. Yeah. And and, you know, he's trying to make this happen. And then one day, all of them, uh, you know, John Tyler, his whole cat, like most of his cabinet, including her father, uh, the the woman, uh, his son, they're, they're out on the Navy's newest ship. 
out sailing the Chesapeake and they're showing off this new warship and it has these cannons on it that are the biggest cannons in the world. One was made in Britain. One was made in the United States. The one made in the United States, the biggest cannon in the world. This is the most American thing ever. It was called the Peacemaker. No, it was not. It was called the Peacemaker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm cringing, cringing in there now. <laughs> and, and and everyone's like, let's test the peacemaker. And they'd shoot it and it would go sailing and it would make a big splash. And they'd be like, yeah, masculinity, you know. And uh that, that's what they're doing on this yacht. And and at one point they're they're done demonstrating, and then someone says, Let's just do one more shot, one more demonstration. And they load the cannon, and people are standing it around, like presidents below deck, but you know, the woman's dad is above deck. Well, a lot of other people are standing around the cannon. And it explodes. The cannon explodes. It yeah. kills her dad. Oh, no. It kills several other people. This freak exploding cannon accident. The, the deck is awash in blood and body parts. And, and John Tyler runs up to the top deck with this young woman and they see her like dad torn to shreds and just this horribly scarring thing. And shortly after that, she marries him. Oh. Shortly. <laughs> so, so you've had that too. And I, I forget how old she was. Um, but it, that would be an, a similar, very young, very weird story uh, of a <laughs> president marrying someone. Really what young. What we would today say, a little too young. A little too young. Holy yeah. cow. And tr- uh, the poor thing must have just been completely traumatized. You're yeah. on the ship. You see, you're testing this thing, the peacemaker. No the peace peacemaker. was made that day. No. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I will say, though, so apparently like these two examples of really old presidents marrying much younger women, apparently they were both very happy, lived, like stayed together the rest of their lives, had a lot of children together. By all reports, happy, successful marriages. So who, who are we to judge? Although there's still really just weird things around them. We're, we're just like, nah, that's now nah, we are going to judge. That's weird. A little, strange. a little bit weird. Glad you're happy. Yeah. Also, you're weird. So uh, let let us digress back to yes. our original Glover Cleveland yeah. um, pre-exploding peacemaker. What other scandals was uh, Mr. Stephen Cleveland involved in? So there was one other notable one. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that he, you know, I guess I was about to say this is the one he got away with, but arguably he, he gets away with all of them. And, and this is the secret cancer surgery <laughs> at oh, sea. Nice. Yeah. Secret so, cancer? Secret cancer, secret cancer surgery. Oh, the, so I mentioned Grover Cleveland serves two terms. Yes. He goes through his first term. He loses, but he gets reelected. And at the start of his second term, he notices there's, there's kind of like a lump in his mouth. Yeah. And after he gets in the White House, he talks to a doctor. And, and pretty quickly, they're like, oh, shit. Uh, pardon my language. <laughs> we curse here. It's fine. We curse. Here. All right. Great. Yeah. Great. They're like, oh shit, you've got cancer. And <laughs> Grover's like, okay, we're keeping this a secret. We're not going to let anybody know that I have cancer and we are going to take care of this secretly. And what he does is he comes up with what I have to say is one of the stupidest ideas I've ever heard except for the fact that it works. <laughs> and what he does is he gets a team of doctors, um, like a handful of guys, mm-hmm. and he gets a friend's yacht. And he goes out on this yacht uh, near New York, out into the sea, 
and they put him in a chair underneath the yacht and they strap him to a pole to hold him steady. And they get a light in there and they perform surgery and remove the tumor in this boat at sea. Why? Why? Why at sea? Why was that a part of it? So nobody would find out like they, they were here. They're trying to find out how do we make sure this stays secret? We can't bring a bunch of doctors into the White House. We can't take Grover to a doctor's office. Like, how do we make this happen? Here's what we'll do. We'll we'll have him get on a friend's boat. The doctors will take like other boats and rendezvous at sea. So that oh nobody will God. see all these people converging at the same place. And that's how we'll be able to make this operation happen. It's like Mission Impossible, but secret cancer version. Yes, yes, it absolutely is. (laughs) Why did he want to keep it a secret in the first place, though? What was what was his motivation behind that? So there were a couple of reasons for this. One, cancer back then was like considered a death sentence. Absolutely. So he was he was concerned that if people found out, they would just assume he's dead and he'd become a lame duck and, you know, he would have no more power. That's Mm -hmm. one. Uh, and, and to feed into that, this is just around the time that former President uh, Ulysses S. Grant died of throat cancer. Okay. And, and that was like this horrible like death watch of people waiting for him to die and being like, is he dead yet? No. OK. So, you know, he, he like he didn't want that whole spectacle. Yeah. So he didn't want that. Another part of it is back then. Presidents didn't necessarily pick their vice presidents, kind of the party did, or or if you did, you picked them for you know parts of the country you're trying to get, but you didn't necessarily all agree on the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And Grover Cleveland and his vice president had very different opinions on monetary policy. Okay. And this can get technical real quick. So I'll just say in short, gold standard or no gold standard. Mm-hmm. One of them liked the gold standard, one of them did not. Okay. And so Grover's concerned that if it comes out, that he that he has cancer or that he's about to have a risky operation that his vice president will insist on you know t- becoming president while he recovers or, or somehow usurping the throne you might say yeah and that he'll then enact the monetary policy that Grover Cleveland opposes so that's another big reason in fact when the vice president hears rumor of this here's rumor that Grover's sick he he sends a telegram he's like I hear you're sick I'm coming to DC right away I'll, I'll be there to help and Grover's like no 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 I'm fine uh, don't come. In fact, go to Seattle. They need you in Seattle. <laughs> he sends them to the opposite end of the country. You know, like, go, go over there. Get, get somewhere far away. Out here. So the VP didn't even know about secret mouth cancer. Nobody know. No, the circle of trust was incredibly small on this. Holy cow. Yeah. That is bananas. Yeah. All because he didn't want this gold standard or this yeah. money policy. Yeah. I, for me, I hypothesized that it was because he didn't want to show weakness. Like it was a theater. That's part of it. That's of part thing. of it. That's part of it. Okay. Okay. Great. But the gold standard thing was another part of it too. I'll tell you 19th century American politics. There is way more stuff about like, should we have a bank of the United States or not? And what's our tariff policy and what's our gold standard? Like there is so much arguing and fighting over that stuff. It's crazy. Because that that stuff doesn't it didn't exist back then. Somebody had to create it. Well, I mean, one of the things is you think about it today, it's almost like we're more distracted, you might say, Mm -hmm. by hot button issues of a different sort. You know, like today we talk a lot more about gun control, uh, abortion rights, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, or or things along those lines. We don't talk as much 
about monetary policy and tariffs. Like tariffs kind of made a little bit of a comeback lately, but you might almost, in some ways, you kind of look at it and say it feels more substantive back then, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll let listeners make their own decision on, on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like even for myself, if I hear monetary policy history, I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, no, yes, <laughs> there, there were definitely when working on my show, there were some episodes. I'm like, am I really going to spend 15 minutes talking about the U.S. <laughs> bank? Yes, I am. <laughs> Because yeah. it's actually crazy. Yeah, <laughs> because this is crazy. Yeah. mouth cancer because of weird monetary policies. That is right. fascinating. Stephen yeah. Robert Cleveland, man. Yeah. That guy. And yeah. many scandals. It's just so ironic that he was chosen because of his detachment or assumed detachment from corruption. Yeah. And here he is with two major scandals in his two presidencies. And to be fair, there were no monetary scandals. Like this isn't someone who is skimming money off the top. This mm-hmm. isn't someone who, who was doing anything financially irregular, which is kind of, I think like back then, that's what people generally were concerned about in their scandals. scandals there yeah. was just so much graft. But the other thing too, so, so we mentioned that mouth surgery, nobody found out about it. So, you know, no, like no, there wasn't a scandal because no one knew about it. One reporter did hear about it. Mm-hmm. Because doctors talk and he heard about yeah. it from a doctor and he printed mm-hmm. a story and the White House came out so hard and all the doctors denied having been there and that they just like kind of blew a hole in the guy's uh, credibility, yeah. you know, yeah. and dumped on him. Like it didn't destroy his career or anything, but it certainly was. People were like, oh, that's the guy who made up the story about Grover Cleveland. <laughs> and his mouth cancer. Yeah. Oh, and no. his mouth cancer. It wasn't until after Cleveland was dead, like mm-hmm. well into the 20th century, that one of the doctors finally came out and said, yes, Grover did have cancer. One of us saved the tumor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's in the museum. You can apparently go see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh and because the doctor, you know, I feel like these doctors, I mentioned this was like the stupidest idea, but it worked. Yeah. I think the doctors in their older age wanted to get credit for it. Like they wanted to be known as like, you know. I was the doctor who saved a president's life and in a totally insane surgery at sea. Like yeah. that was me. That was me. And that was me. What? Here's the tumor. Here's the tumor. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to put in the show notes, a link to the museum where you can see <laughs> Grover Stephen Cleveland's tumor. <laughs> that is bananas. Well, I'm glad that they saved it. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if they throw it away? If they throw that tumor away, the yacht tumor, that would be absolutely yeah. insane. Well, now I have like a renewed interest in learning more presidential history because just this one president, his two stories are absolutely bananas. And yeah. it's so fascinating. So never again will I say, presidential history is boring because clearly <laughs> I appreciate that about it <laughs> yeah so that's great is there any final little tidbits about Mr. Stephen Grover Cleveland that you'd like to put you in know I, I think the thing I just end on with him is it is it's fascinating that still today most people when they think of Grover Cleveland they say that's the really honest president the above all tell the truth that's the quote that's known about him And I think he's someone who deserves like in general, he's forgotten. But if he's remembered, that's what he's remembered by. Mm -hmm. And I think he deserves a reevaluation. I mean, there's a lot of people when they look at the Maria Halpin story, 
they just take it as face value that Grover mm-hmm. Cleveland's version is what really happened. Yeah. You know, but I, I think when you when you also look at the tumor thing and the lengths he went at to lie about that and conceal that, it really makes it okay. No, this was not an honest guy. Yeah. And and there's a similar playbook. Like when people said Grover Cleveland, he had this tumor removed. They're like, no, 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 he had like a toothache. That's all. You know, it's like you just admit to a little bit so you can hide the big thing. Yeah. And that has today. I feel like that's almost Grover's legacy is this is how politicians for like the next hundred years, like they, they looked at this and they realized like, wait, I can get away with this crazy stuff. Yeah, I can hide this crazy stuff, you know? And then you just see more of it now. It's, I think that's just his legacy is he's the guy that, that showed us that if you admit to a little bit, you can get away with a lot. Couldn't have ended the episode better myself. Thank you so <laughs> much. Tell the people where they can find you. What absolutely? Have. Yeah, thank you so much. You can find Abridged Presidential Histories, my podcast, on any podcast platform. Just search for it, Abridged Presidential Histories. You can also find me on Twitter at APH Podcast. That's where I'm most active. Uh, I also have a Facebook page. So, Presidential uh, Abridged Presidential Histories. You can look it up on Facebook as well. Awesome. And I will definitely put all of the links to uh, Abridged Presidential Histories on in the show notes so that you can find awesome. Kenny Ryan. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being here with us, friend. And I will see you in the outro. <laughs> Take care. So there you have it, dear one. That is the season finale episode. We are done with season two. Woo! It has been a journey. I have learned a lot. There's a lot of things that I'm going to be changing and revamping. Uh, Things are going to be the same. Don't you worry. It will always be you and me. But we're going to make a few changes in the season to come. Lots of fun stuff. And having the episodes be on a seasonal basis gives me more time to prep and plan things for Patreon and other platforms. So please look out for that. There will be some episode topic polls on Instagram and some other just general questions that I have in terms of what you like for content. So head on over to Instagram to participate in those polls if you'd like to have your voice heard in the topics that we cover in season three. So it's going to be a bit of a wait. I will see you on May 6th for our first episode of season three. I know it's going to be a long break. I'm going to miss you too. But if you need a dose of TK, a little bit of For the Love of History, you can head on over to For the Love of History podcast on Instagram. I'll be posting reels over there and lots of other fun content. So please don't worry. I will be back and I will be reminding you to drink your water, to take good care of yourself, and to tune in on May 6th for our first episode of season three. So until then, I will see you later. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. (laughs) 